They say I'm hopeless As a penny with a hole in it Penny with a plenty with a hole in it Yeah, yeah, yeah They say I'm no less No less, no less, no less, no less Then up to my head in it Welcome to Sup Media Reviews, the podcast that never needs spoiler alerts because it takes you back in time to relive the nostalgia of classic TV shows and films that you've probably already seen. I'm your host, Kiara, and each week I'll dive into the archives to bring you my take on movies and TV shows from at least 20 years ago. From cult classics to forgotten gems, I'll review them all and give my honest opinion on their impact and whether or not they still hold up today. Join me as we revisit the iconic characters, memorable moments, and timeless themes that made these shows and films so special. So take a break from adulting and get ready for a trip down memory lane with Sup Media Reviews. What is up, Home Slices? Thanks so much for tuning into Sup Media Reviews. I'm your host, Kiara, and it is Black History Month. In February, we're going to be reviewing and celebrating Black movies and stories from four different genres, historical drama, romance, horror, and comedy. Last week, I reviewed the 1985 film, The Color Purple. Check it out. And today, with it being so close to Valentine's Day, we're focusing on a Black romance film, Love Jones. This 1997 movie features Lorenz Tate as Darius Lovehall, Nia Long as Nina Mosley, Isaiah Washington as Savon Garrison, and Lisa Nicole Carson as Josie Nichols. Now, as a Black person, I am ashamed to say that prior to watching this movie for the review, I had never seen Love Jones before. That's right. This is my first time watching it. So I really am excited to get my black card back today. <laughs> As always, here are some fun facts about the movie. The role of Nina Mosley, played by Nia Long, was originally written for Jada Pinkett Smith. This fact is crazy because Jada Pinkett was also considered for the role of Lisa, Will's love interest on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. The role eventually went to Nia Long. So when it comes to black media in the 90s, there were like 10 black people who all went for the same roles and just kind of moved and changed <laughs> <laughs> changed around in these movies. Now, the second fun fact is that the writer and director of this film, Theodore Witcher, also wanted Lauren Hill to star in the film, but he couldn't get around her touring schedule with the Fugees. However, Lauren Hill did contribute several songs to the film soundtrack, including the popular single, Sweetest Thing. Love that song. I'll talk about it more a little bit later. And the final fun fact is that while the film would go on to be a cult classic, when the film was released, it only made $12 million in the box office against its $10 million budget. Lorenz Tate felt that the film, which was a Sundance winner, could have done better in the box office if the studio marketed it better. <laughs> now, according to Isaiah Washington, the movie was taken out of the theaters and because the soundtrack was received so well, they reopened the film because the people were demanding to see this movie. You all do not underestimate the power of a good soundtrack, okay? Now, if you want to check out Love Jones, you can watch it on Paramount Plus, Showtime, DirecTV, or Fubo as of the recording of this episode. Now, this is when I talk about my personal connection. Now, I mentioned earlier that I had never seen this film prior to watching it for this review, so I don't really have a strong connection to the film itself. However, I do have a really good like personal connection to the soundtrack, which still slaps today. This is one of my favorite movie soundtracks, y'all. The main hits that really stand out to me on this soundtrack are Hopeless by Dionne Ferris. They say I'm hopeless as a penny with a hole in, penny with a penny with a hole in. <laughs> it's a great song. It's very moody too. I feel like it's one of those songs that Black people love, but it also is probably like as close to... The word emo comes to mind, but not like 100% in that direction. It's just very moody. People love that song and I do too. Also, The Sweetest Thing by the Refugee Camp All-Stars, which for this song is primarily just Lauren Hill. 
It was the sweet, the sweetest thing I've known. And this song has a, a particularly special connection for me because this is a song that my husband and I chose to dance to as our first dance at our wedding, which is about like two, two and a half years ago. So really love that song. Another song I really love from the soundtrack is Something Something, The Mellow Smooth Cut by Maxwell. So first off, the Something Something regular version of the song is really good. So if it's cool, I'll rock with you. Like the original something something is really good. But there's a special remix on the Love Jones. It's called the Mellow Smooth Cut. And it is so good. It's more slowed down, more romantic. Is it essentially like the same song, same lyrics, just like slowed down, the music is different. So if it's cool, I wanna rock with you. Like, it's so good. I love this version of that song. So yeah, those are the kind of like top three for me. The soundtrack also features hits from Groove Theory, Escape, Trina Broussard, Cassandra Wilson, Cassie, Brand New Heavies, Kenny Lattimore, and even Duke Ellington. So the soundtrack is just so ridiculously good and I cannot wait to get into my perspective on this movie after watching it for the first time. So let's chat. So the movie opens with Hopeless by Dion Ferris playing in the background. That's such a good song, y'all. It's such a good song. So in this opening scene, I didn't realize this at first or the significance of it, but I'll get into it later. We see black and white footage and imagery of what I came to realize is the city of Chicago. The footage is really showing like pictures of regular everyday people in Chicago. They are primarily living in the inner city. They are mostly people of color. They don't appear to be like super rich. They just seem to be like normal people. So this raw footage, I didn't get it at first, but it is related to Nina, the main character or main lady character's work. So we'll talk about that more. The whole situation like with the opening scene is like super 90s because as they're showing these people, we see this 90s fashion and we get like this 90s feel. So that was really nostalgic for me. Now in a super quick transition, we see an image of Nia Long's character, Nina, kissing another character named Marvin, who's played by Khalil Kane. Now we for sure recognize Nia Long from Friday and Best Man and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and all that stuff. But Khalil Kane, he feels like one of those 90s actors that feels like he's in everything and nothing at the same time. The roles that stick out to me for Khalil are when he played Darnell on Girlfriends. It was Maya's husband. And then briefly, he played Keith, the boyfriend of Regine on Living Single. But to other people, you may recognize him as Raheem from Juice. But I have never seen Juice and I never plan to. My little heart can't take movies like this. So... I just skipped them. But anyways, Nina's flashback of her making out with Marvin is interrupted by Nina's friend, Josie, who was played by Lisa Nicole Carson, who's helping her to pack moving boxes on a very dreary day. Now, right away, we can rightfully assume that Nina's relationship with Marvin is over and Nina is moving out. So she is in a time of transition in her relationship and her living situation. Now, outside of that apartment near the U-Haul, we find out that Nina and Marvin were engaged and that he essentially ghosted her before we even knew what ghosting was. 1997 ghosting was not a term, but this man who was engaged to her ghosted her. That's crazy. Nina basically vowed in this moment to never fall in love again because it's played out like an eight track. And I was like, that is such an old phrase because I was born in 1990. And I do not remember even seeing eight tracks. Like by the time I remember, or the time that I was old enough to have memories, cassette tapes were like the main thing that people used to play music. I low-key didn't even really know what eight tracks were, but I did some Googling real quick and I found out that they were like the precursor or predecessor to the cassette tape. So like I said, cassette tapes, I do remember. So yeah, this really made me think about <laughs> technology. <laughs> 
anyways, moving on, we see a scene at a club called The Sanctuary. It's a dark, moody kind of lounge that features a drummer on some bongos with a spoken word artist performing over the beat. Now, I don't know if places like this even exist anymore where you can kind of get that maybe speakeasy feel where people perform poetry and maybe there's some type of musician there to play in the background and you can just hang out and drink and just kind of lounge and not the same kind of like like we be clubbing atmosphere, just something a little bit more laid back where you can hear yourself think. But I will say that the spoken word performer in the first part of this scene is awful. I hated his performance. <laughs> it was like he was freestyling, but he didn't know where his next word was coming from. It was very sing-songy. And even though this, you know, artist is vibing with the drummer and there's some positive feedback from the audience, I really am not impressed. And it started me thinking, is the poetic element of this movie actually kind of bit a turnoff or does it really date the movie for me? I'm not on the poetry scene. I think that poetry is okay, but I'm not super into it. But I can recognize a good poet and a good poem like when I see one. So I'm like, I'm hoping that the poetry gets better in this film because I understood this movie to be it was a large element of it, which actually is kind of not. It's like three poems up in here. But Anyways, in the sanctuary, we see there is a group of five friends gathered at a table. We have Darius, who is played by Lorenz Tate and is the main love interest. We have Savan, who is played by Isaiah Washington. We have Hollywood, who is played by Bellamy. Sheila, who is played by Bernadette Speaks. And Eddie, who is played by Leonard Roberts. And they're all talking about romance, namely how Sheila, the only woman in the group, needs to find a man. Also, Eddie, who I remember from Drumline, or the actor I remember from Drumline, he thinks that romance is for fools. Darius, however, has a more poetic outlook on romance, and he views that romance is all about possibility. In observing the group's dynamics, I already see that Sheila is supposed to be like the wet blanket that kind of brings the men back to reality a little bit. Hollywood is like a silly ladies' man. Eddie is kind of like a disenchanted guy a little bit. We actually don't see very much of him. And Savan, we later find out, is married, and that comes into play a little bit later. But Savan's role is probably being the closest confidant to Darius. We don't see that in this initial scene, but we do throughout the movie. So in another part of the club, Nina and Josie are having a drink. And soon after, Nina and Darius, again, our main characters and love interests, have this kind of meet-cute at the bar. Darius's friends are checking out the beautiful Nina from afar and trying to figure out if is Darius going to be able to snag this beauty or is he going to fumble? Nina kind of starts a conversation with him because she sees that Darius is deep in thought. Darius is trying to play it cool, but then he ends up knocking over Nina's white wine. And so Darius's friends laugh at him because he basically fumbles his situation. And Nina walks away with a new <laughs> glass of wine and says that Darius should probably stop smoking because he knocked over her glass because I think he was reaching for a lighter or, or a cigarette or something along those lines. Now, next up to the stage at the club is Darius, who performs every Monday. So he is a regular at this club. His piece is called A Blues for Nina. Now, y'all, I'm not going to go through the lyrics. I didn't care to look them up or write them down. I just want to talk about what this poem made me feel. And that's what poetry is about anyway, right? Like feeling stuff. So let's get into it. Now, before he got into the piece, he claimed that he had been working on it. And... It's like, okay, this is a piece you've been working on, but then you name it after a woman that you met like 30 seconds before. Is this a kind of fill in the blank? Mad Libs poem? <laughs> I don't understand. How are you working on this poem for a while and then filling in the blank? But okay, whatever. It's like saying I bought an engagement ring and I've had it for a long time, but now I want you to have it. That bothers me. I think that's personal. <laughs> I'll move on. Darius gives some type of instructions to the musicians for a jazzy beat. Now, this time it's not really bongos. It's more of, I believe it's called a stand-up bass. I don't have a lot of understanding of like the difference between a bass and a cello, but I think the bass is more jazzy. And so it has like a little jazzy background. And the spoken word piece itself is sensual, but like in a crude way for my sensibility. It has an 
immediate effect on the crowd and Nina. I think because Darius is a regular, people really look forward to listening to him. So he has already kind of have a reputation for maybe captivating the crowd. Darius starts with like this very hotep, extra black like feel to his poem, but then quickly switches to poetic ways of asking Nina to have sex with him. Basically, the women in the crowd want to be the Nina named in the poem, while the men in the crowd see the poem through Darius's eyes. So the poem has a little bit of something for everybody. Now, Nina and Josie both know what's up and they kind of exchange these meaningful glances because Nina, who is already going through relationship issues, already has another guy pursuing her. So there's some hesitance there, a little bit of excitement. You can read a lot of things in those glances. But personally, I don't care for the poem or how it was delivered. I didn't find the metaphors to be clever enough. If you're not going to write poetry like Kendrick Lamar... <laughs> I'm totally kidding. There's different types of poetry for different people. I just really didn't care for this poem. And it just sounded like a dude who was just making creative ways of asking to sleep with Nina. And I just, and, mm -mm, the crowd ate it up. And this is the point where I start to wonder if spoken word is just one of those lost art forms in my eyes. And if this really would have hit me different if I was like a black adult in 1997, would I have really loved and enjoyed this type of poem just being who I am now in 2024 I was like no like no <laughs> even some of the ways he delivered it I didn't really care for so sorry Darius as Darius leaves the stage Hollywood who again is played by Bill Bellamy and is nicknamed Wood hates on Darius's spoken word abilities and claims that he doesn't need poetry to get women so Hollywood is the hater okay so that'll come up later for sure so Sheila replies that Hollywood needs a personality to get women and then Savon chimes in and says Wood should try a breath mint and a visa to which they laugh now I bring up this brief interaction because I really love watching scenes and movies that depict the way I see real life people interacting or the way I would interact with other people. And that brief exchange of jokes at each other's expense really comes across as true to life for me. So I love that about movies that can capture those type of like real life moments that kind of make things seem less scripted and contrived. So I really enjoy their friendship. So Josie teases Nina about how falling in love is played out like an eight track and how that poem just kind of folded Nina. And Nina is like, girl, I'm too strong for that. <laughs> But look, nobody holds your feet to the fire like a good friend. And so Josie is, you know, saying like, Nina, you said something and I'm going to, you know, you know, I'm going to hold you to your standards. Right. And like right away, I can tell that the friendships in this movie are probably going to be my favorite kind of thing. Right. So next up, we're outside the club and Nina and Josie approach Darius and his friends. In a brief exchange, Darius says that Nina can write and perform a poem for him next week. She says that it wouldn't be about sex because there are other topics like love, which she writes on his hand instead of her phone number. So Nina is kind of holding to her standards of not being too eager to move on to a new person. Nina and Josie leave and Darius low-key feels a little played and a little embarrassed. He thought that he was going to to clean up. Women love artsy men, whether those are musicians or I would even say comedians. And men in the arts, if you're really good at what you do, women can like fall at your feet. And I think Darius was expecting that reaction from Nina. And when she wrote the word love instead of her number on his hand, he just felt played. And the fact that his friends were there to witness this and make fun of him didn't make it any better. So Right away, I guess Nina is coming across as not like other girls, but not in the weird pick me way like we see nowadays. <laughs> so next up, I'm guessing this is the following day sometime soon after. Nina is on a photo shoot as a photographer's assistant and she either is not good at her work because even her boss says so or she's letting her personal life get in the way of her being successful in her job or she just has this kind of annoyed and apathetic affect. Now later on we kind of come to realize that she wants to do photography on her own and she wants to do her own thing. And I think her frustration in the moment is that she is resorting to being someone's assistant as opposed to doing her own thing and that she kind of hasn't made it just yet. And so the quality of her work and her attitude are like low key piss poor. <laughs> so next up we see Darius and Eddie. This conversation actually confused the mess out of me, but it sounded like Darius was telling his friend Eddie that he was moving out of Eddie's office space so that he could write a 
book? This was hard to understand, but I think the point that the story is trying to make or that the film is trying to make that both Nina and Darius are in transition and are looking to see what comes next for them, namely in their careers, but I guess in love too, right? So next up we see Nina, she stops by a music store that Sheila happens to work at. I don't know what it is about these black movies featured in Chicago. I imagine Chicago to be a big city. Yeah. But even in Soul Food, which also featured Nia Long, it was also took place in Chicago. Everybody seems to know everybody. How is it that she goes to a record store that happens to be the place where Sheila is employed? Mm, small world in Chicago, I guess. But anyways, Nina's looking for a very specific Isley Brothers CD and Darius enters shortly after and he could not be more pleased to have another shot with Nina after getting rejected. So he approaches her and he asks to play something for her. It's a record. She's hesitant because he embarrassed her, you know, the night before when he basically asked her to have sex with him in front of a room full of people. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy, y'all. Eventually, she kind of relents. Darius puts on a record in the store by Charlie Parker. They discuss the nuances of the song. Is it melancholy versus sadness? Whatever. And Nina gets over it really fast and promptly leaves with her new CD without saying goodbye. Nina pays with a check, y'all. And when I saw her pay with a check, I was like, OMG. Y'all, checks are played out. However, I do still have checks. I can't tell you the last time I wrote a check. It's probably been a year and a half, but I do have them in the event that I need them because some places only take checks now, but paying at a store with the check, that's crazy. I've never done that. <laughs> that is like a real throwback. Like once people started kind of gaming the system with those checks, they kind of had to eliminate that system. <laughs> But Darius ends up asking her out for a drink shortly after she finishes her transaction and Nina turns him down because it's bad timing. And I agree. The girl just got out of an engagement with a man who ghosted her. Let her heal. Okay. Darius is upset that he has fumbled once more and she's leaving, does a little double take or whatever. Like, hmm, I would explore. It's just not the right time. Right. So she's trying to do the right thing for herself. And of course, here comes a man trying to convince her that that's not right. <laughs> But anyway, Sheila, who is still in the store, says that he fumbled this time because he was moving too fast. And so Darius asks for Nina's info off of her check and Sheila refuses, stating that Nina could have a man, a fact that Darius didn't even consider. Now, I personally think of the safety issue first, like, hey, she's only met you twice. She's turned you down twice. No, you cannot have her information, right? Like in the 80s and 90s, I don't think people really took stalking seriously or like violence seriously like that like violence between even potential significant others y'all get it together okay and the next scene it's very sudden so sudden y'all i'll bring it up now i was gonna bring it up later this movie features some of the quickest transitions i have ever seen it's literally like in a blink of an eye a lot of movies have some way of transitioning between scenes that does not feel so jarring and sudden. And this movie, almost throughout the entire movie, virtually, I would say like 85% of the transitions are so freaking fast that I had to rewind and be like, wait, how are we already changed from one scene to another scene? And I'm like, why? <laughs> Was this a deliberate choice to show the kind of yearning and desire and urgency in this film when it comes to them connecting to each other? Was it because this is the writer and director's only film and they don't have enough experience to know about those transitions? I can't really tell, but to me, it was very jarring and one of the things that I actually really dislike about this film. But we cut really fast to Darius outside of Nina's apartment door. Now, Nina opens the unlocked door, unlocked door, to a very apologetic Darius who brings the Isleys Brothers CD that she was looking for. Because she went to the CD store and couldn't find it. And so I guess he went to a different store and found it and brought it to her. Nice gesture, but ill. You couldn't wait till she came back to the sanctuary or something to give it to her. Gross. You stalked this lady. You got her information off a check. This is problematic, you guys, personally. 
family. But in a very awkward way, she invites him into this super big and super nice apartment where Nina is actually house sitting for, I'm assuming the photographer. I don't know who she, you know, I look, he don't know who she was house sitting for. But whoever's house it is, it's a very nice apartment, right? And so Darius is there to ask her out again. And he's playing the persistence card along with the, I know you said it was bad timing, but you know, card. So in the background, you can hear Ascension by Maxwell. That's probably one of my favorite Maxwell songs. This song is not on the soundtrack, but it is really, really good. I'm gonna see if I can hit this note. Y'all love that song. <laughs> So whoever picked the music, they did an excellent job, okay? So Nina and Darius strike up this conversation about Nina's photography. Uh, he kind of sees her, I guess, portfolio, some of the pictures that she has taken, and he compliments them. They talk about art, and they come across as really well-versed in multiple artistic areas. And as I'm watching Lorenz Tate... I recognize that in general, we all think he's an attractive man, but in this movie, I feel like he's not as attractive as in later years. Now, I can't tell if it's because of how youthful he looks and he just looks too young for me to find him attractive in this movie, or if it's because of his haircut and I'm leaning towards the haircut. His haircut is like, it's fine and it's like, a little bit long and kind of brushed back a little bit. It doesn't look bad. It's kempt, I guess, but his hairline is allowed to grow in its natural formation. Again, it doesn't look bad, but as time has gone on and as hair has evolved or hair styling has evolved, a look of like the clean and crisp hairline has become more in style. And so if I saw Lorenz Tate today, his hairline would be like lined up and crisp. And for whatever reason, it just gives him an edge. Like it just makes him look more attractive. I just really didn't think he was that cute in this film, y'all. I'm sorry. I also want to point out that Lorenz's acting is throwing me off just a little bit. In this scene in particular, he's coming across as wanting to sound smart, not just to impress Nina, but more so to bring life to this really artistically smart character. Whereas Nina's acting feels a little bit more natural, but there are even moments where even her acting comes across as a little weird as well. Nia literally says to him that he's trying too hard. And I'm like, girl, I agree. Okay. Now Darius invites her out to a group get together. She of course is reluctant, but then he threatens to drop by more often until she relents. What do you all think of his approach for how he's trying to get with Nina? I think that it's too aggressive. I hate it. I feel like it shows a lack of respect for her boundaries. And I feel like this is not a dating tactic that holds up today. <laughs> That's just my personal opinion. Now, at the group hangout, Aries picked Nina up on his motorcycle and they went over to Savon's house, the house that he shares with his wife. His wife's name is Troy, which it took me a very long time to figure out that his wife's name was Troy. That's like a crazy lady name. But anyways, the group is hanging out. They're talking trash. They're beating bongos. They're dancing. They're just chilling, hanging out. Again, it reminds me quite a bit of how I would just hang out with my friends if we were all together in a room. The conversation doesn't even sound scripted at first. And again, I really love that. And I think that's part of the charm of this movie. There's a brief discussion on if God is a woman. It's a really weird conversation. Most of the explanations revolve around sex and relationships and are quite silly and don't even make no sense, okay? And Nina eventually kind of starts to warm up to Darius. So... The tide is changing. Nina's coming around, y'all. Now, on the walk home, Nina and Darius talk more about art. Nina isn't much of a writer, and Darius shows that he's a little cocky when it comes to art and how he has all the answers, FY, whatever. And so as they're walking in the rain, Nina's permed 90s hairdo is not getting wet at all and is not getting frizzy. And I'm like, do not try to play me. Because in a later scene, they flipped the script on that. <laughs> But anyways, they decide to head to the other side of town to dance at a reggae club called The Wild Hair, which I read was an actual like reggae club in Chicago. Now, Lorenz's Caribbean accent is freaking awful. He also used it in his poem. Awful, y'all. The two dance together at The Wild Hair. They get closer. They're bumping and grunting, all that good stuff. And Nina is letting her walls down. 
Now, the reggae artist that's at the club is actually really good and has a good voice. He doesn't have a Caribbean accent at all, but his voice is really good. His name is Charles Organair Cameron, and his band is the Sunshine Festival, and they sing a song called I Will Never Stop Loving You. It's very cute. It's not on the soundtrack, but I, as a person who doesn't really care for reggae music all that much, I was like, this is actually some good artistry, okay? Now, next up, Nina and Darius head back to her place. Darius is dropping her off at home. They make out on the doorstep, and Nina is like, no. Oh, stop I'm not 100% ready she's like I had a good time but I can't go out like this on a first date and so he kind of pretends to walk away and turns to say that he just wants to come up to talk and then in a quick super fast transition they immediately switch to a scene where they are sleeping together with Maxwell's something something mellow smooth remix in the background again love this song the scene is pretty tasteful it leaves enough to the imagination there's a little bit of a nip slip but that's like all that it really gets shown they're just making out and we get it it lasts about a minute and I feel like there's an art to doing sexual scenes this way and it's a lost art personally but I'll move on again the fast transitions will throw me off I don't know if it's just me I'm I don't know ease me into it okay <laughs> but it's the morning after there's got to be a morning after and when Nina wakes up she is alone and she comes downstairs to find Darius making breakfast Darius is shirtless and he is fit but he's not like six-pack ripped which is a really good change of pace from this modern day requirement requirement that means you have to look like the rock to be shirtless in a movie you got to be extra ripped and it's like no let's just get some men with some regular bodies in these movies okay Darius comes across as pretty nervous right now. He's like hoping that they didn't move too fast. Nina assures him that she was down and that they can hook up again, but it comes across as this kind of like non-committal way. That's the way I experienced it. Darius goes on a little rant about how women sleep with the guy and then they ignore his existence. And in a very subtle way, we see that they probably went for around two that morning. I will say that this film does a pretty good job of showing subtlety around some of the elements that would be super highlighted today. Like I feel like films go into way too much detail and are too excited to show and depict sexual scenes when sometimes we can just take the hint, okay? <laughs> so this film does a good job of like, here's a hint and like, oh, we get the picture, right? So next up, we see Nina and Josie in a taxi. And Nina is kind of sort of spilling the tea on her date with Darius. And when Josie asks like, hey, is this going to be a thing? Nina says no. And then the only thing she would do is hurt Darius. And so Josie rightfully deduces that Nina actually slept with Darius. Josie and the taxi driver are nosy AF and apparently are living vicariously through Nina. I'm going to come back to that later. Okay. But Nina says that her experience with Darius is that his member talked to her and Josie asked, what did it say? That was hilarious. <laughs> this conversation was hilarious to me. Nina replies that it said Nina. This is a crazy conversation. It was very funny to me. I don't think I would ever have this kind of crazy conversation, even with like a close friend. That's crazy. That's very funny. Nina ends up saying like, hey, this is nothing. And that she and Darius are just having fun right now. So again, very non-committal. Maybe we'll hook up later on in the future. They enjoy spending their adult time together. It's not a big thing, right? So next up, in a different scene, we see... <laughs> Savon and his wife having an argument outside of their house. His wife's name is Troy again. And Troy has packed a bag and is angrily leaving with their son, who appears to be maybe between eight and 10 years old. I couldn't really tell. But Darius at this point is just now pulling up to Savon's house. Savon's wife is pissed and Savon is trying to stop her from leaving. But she packs her kid up in the car and heads out. And the argument seems to be over money. But we never really get a clear picture of what this argument really is about. She just says something about him being either him being cheap or he says something to her about not wanting to save money. I don't know. Finances is like way at the top of the list when it comes to reasons that couples argue or even get divorced. So it seems likely, but I don't like that we didn't learn more about disagreement. I'm nosy in that way. <laughs> But anyway, Savan and Darius go to play pool and talk about relationships. So Savan is coming right off the heels of having a really big disagreement with his wife. 
And so the overarching theme of this conversation is that marriage is what you make it, basically. And so Savan deduces that Nina jacked Darius up because of the nature of his questions. He describes it like Nina put voodoo on him, so much so that he cooked breakfast for her the next morning. Savan is really in disbelief, and I thought this was freaking hilarious. Now, in the 90s, there was this really big emphasis in Black media on relationship culture that was heavily focused on one's ability to attract the opposite sex without becoming too attached or whipped. You don't want to come across as desperate or needy. And even if you do really love somebody, you can't let them know. It's all about your ability to Mac, as they used to say. So I've been with my husband for nine years now. And so I'm really far removed from dating culture. And I'm curious as to how this same kind of conversation between Savannah and Darius would go down in 2024, right? Like we're 27 years later, Are we still telling people that, yes, be attracted to other people? Yes, try to, the word lure comes to mind, but that's probably not right. Like, yes, you can attract people to you, but don't come across as too needy. Don't be too nice. Are we still having those types of conversations? It's just, it's funny to me. And I don't know if it's like a male thing or what, but like, why can't we just let love or like, or even lust just drive us to do nice things for each other? Why do we have to pretend that like a spell has been cast? It's like, no, it's not magic. It's normal and natural to do nice things for people that you like. I don't know why we can't just let it be what it is, right? Especially someone that you're like forming a bond with and is still new and exciting. Like, of course you want to do nice things for them. Like, what the heck? And of course, it's like, also don't be no fool either and let people take advantage of you. But interestingly enough, Darius also says that whatever he has with Nina is not love. They're just hanging out right now. So Savan, who isn't convinced, makes his first reference to the term Jones. And it actually is the only reference to the term Jones, which is in this context means like to fiend for something. So he says it's going to be an MF for when the Love Jones comes down. So that's the title. So next up, Darius and Nina go to Darius's bachelor pad. Nina, of course, looks around and while she's distracted, Darius puts a photo in a frame face down. It's a picture of a woman. And so my first thought was like, oh, this is an ex. But then I wondered like, do you live with your mama? And this is a younger picture of her, which I feel like would also make sense. We find out what it is later on and I'll bring that up later. Now, Nina starts to take photos with the camera that's there and she tells Darius to take off his clothes as she continues to shoot photos. He slowly takes off his jacket and it's interesting to see this kind of change in the power dynamic, but he only really takes off his jacket and is still basically fully clothed when he tells her to put the camera down and they end up making out. And then again, in a very subtle way, they engage in adult activities at his house and we don't see anything, but we get the diss. They are really to each other. Again, this movie does a really good job at leaving stuff to the imagination and I am here for it, okay? Now suddenly, again with the swift transitions, Marvin shows up to the house that Nina is staying at and she is annoyed, but she lets him in. Marvin tries to get her back with a train ticket to New York. And so Nina tells him that he needs to mind his business. She don't owe him nothing and that he messed it up. And he's like, I want what we have back. And she says, you had it and you didn't know what to do with it. So he leaves the train ticket there and he says, you know, I'm heading to have lunch with my mom. And she's like, I'll tell your mom. I said, hi. And so it's clear to me that she's still has feelings for this guy, which makes a lot of sense. They were engaged. And so later on, Nina has lunch with Josie and she's like, I need to know if I still love Marvin or not. And this situation with Darius makes things a little bit more complicated, right? So I don't know what it is about exes, but they have radars that let them know when it's the absolute wrong time to show up. And it really is like a moth to a flame. Their timing is impeccable, y'all. But Josie gives some advice and she says that Nina should tell Darius and see how he reacts to gauge his interest in her. If Darius is pissed off and mad, Nina, you know, can stay and not go to New York City because she has a guy who really cares about her. But if Darius is playing it all cool, then she needs to go to New York and see what's going on with, you know, her former relationship and if it's something that can be salvaged. That's an interesting way of making decisions with your life. The problem for me is that I don't want to make decisions based off somebody else's reaction and thoughts. I need to make decisions for me. When I make decisions, I do my best to do some introspection and some research on what's going on within me. So making decisions on how other people react to your decisions, 
is not a good way to make decisions personally, okay? But next up, Nina and Darius are at Darius's place. They're chilling in their post-coital glow. They've been hanging out for a few weeks and Nina has kind of serious conversation with him. She says that like, I enjoy what this has been over the past few weeks, but I'm going to New York for a few weeks. And then in a kind of roundabout way, she says like, I'm gonna go look for some jobs. I'm gonna handle some unfinished business. Darius knows what that means. And he's like, oh, this is about a guy. And Nina tells the truth about, you know, the previous relationship I was in. I need to go and see what's up. Darius says, it's cool. And he's not tripping basically. And so Nina says like, I really wanna be honest. And Darius is like, we're kicking it. We ain't married. Go and do what you got to do, right? Go to New York. And it's like, you can tell Darius doesn't mean this. So Darius is not being emotionally honest with her. And of course, this comes back later. <laughs> In the next scene, Darius shares his true feelings with Savan at the bar. Why share your true feelings with your boy and not with the person that you actually have these feelings for? And men just don't be making no sense, okay? Darius says things like if Marvin was doing his job the right way the first time I wouldn't be hitting it and it's like ill gross <laughs> Darius thinks that Nina can't handle him and what they have together so when Savan questions Darius's investment in this just kicking it situation like why are you so mad if y'all are just kicking it Darius admits that he really kind of doesn't know why this is bothering him so much and then he jokingly says that he thinks that she's the one and then Darius laughs saying it was a joke and that he fooled Savan into thinking that he actually thought that he had found the one. When D walks away, you can tell that that wasn't a joke. He actually really likes Nina and maybe even loves her. He's just trying to play it cool, right? And right as he's like kind of stewing in the fact that the girl that he really cares about is off in New York, maybe sleeping with her ex. <laughs> he spots a pretty lady in the bar and we transition away again. Y'all, these transitions are snappy, okay? Nina in the next scene is developing the photos that she took of Darius and Darius is in his house listening to a voicemail from Nina saying that her train leaves at 9:30 for New York if he wants to say goodbye to her but then the next thing we see is Darius making out with the pretty lady from the bar so Nina leaves on the train she hops on the train without saying goodbye so this is kind of like the first kind of big rift or misunderstanding in there story together. Next up, Nina is in New York. We see her doing an interview with a white man in a New York high rise. He's looking at her portfolio and he uses these like racist buzzwords that we as black people know what they mean. He asks her if her work could be slicker or more polished. That's obviously code word for less urban, aka less black. Okay. <laughs> we know what those words mean. And Nina does too. We can see it in her face. So Nina goes to Marvin's apartment where she and Marvin have this brief argument about cereal. And then they get into what sounds like an argument that they've had many times. Marvin feels like because he's well off, then Nina doesn't need to be a professional or published photographer, especially with the rejection that she is facing. So that was his excuse. You don't have to do that because like, I'm tired of seeing you getting rejected. What Nina hears is that Marvin doesn't want her to have a career of her own and maybe doesn't even see the value or the talent that she has when it comes to her art. In a moment of frustration, Nina says, I don't even know why I'm here. And Nina says, all we have together is our history and it's not enough anymore. So I think Nina has her answer. And so it's a new day, Hopeless by Dion Ferris is playing in the background again as Marvin wakes up alone with Nina's engagement ring on his pinky finger. She left him and she got the answer that she needed. Uh, she wanted to know if she still loved Marvin? And that answer is no. <laughs> so we are back at the club, y'all. We are back at the sanctuary. And Hollywood, of course, is being Hollywood, talking noise, hating, and all that good stuff. In this moment, he's actually eyeing Nina, considering that Nina and Darius kind of like ain't on good terms no more. Nina and Josie are also at the sanctuary. They're having a drink. And Nina obviously came there right after she arrived by train from New York to see if Darius was there. So now she's trying to cut out talking about she tired because she hasn't spotted him. Now, I don't know the name of this trope, but Josie is Nina's friend and she is without a life of her own. She doesn't have a significant other. We actually learned that in the story. She's so full of personality. She's very pretty. Her hair is just so beautiful and curly. She's a pretty lady. And it's like really her only function there is to be a sounding board for Nina. And it's like, why do people create these like sidekicks that don't have 
stories of their own. Even Isaiah Washington's character, Savan, has things going on in his life. Why can't Josie have the same? I don't know why movies and shows insist on making the best friends of protagonists, people without lives or partners or even other interests. But as Nina and Josie leave the bar, Hollywood tries to offer the ladies a ride in his Cadillac hearse and they make up an excuse to not ride with him and I do not blame them. This was actually a very silly part in the movie that I was not expecting, but it was freaking hilarious to me. Josie suggests that Nina and Wood should hook up because Darius is Black History, which is hilarious. Happy Black History Month, y'all. Nina says, I'll just call Darius tomorrow. So it's the next day. Nina's at a bookstore. She's inside and outside the bookstore, she spots Darius with his new boo, the lady from the club, y'all. So Nina, of course, is not happy. Darius has already moved on to somebody else. And so I guess she decides not to call him, which I don't blame her. So she decides to go on about her life. In this next scene, y'all, I'm telling you, there are scenes that I don't understand. Nina is sitting somewhere chilling with like this kind of photo area set up where she can take photos of people that they can have printed and that they can pay for and stuff. I don't know where she is. I don't know what's going on. I guess she just need money. And it's just a gig that's paying her to take pictures of families or whoever. So Hollywood pops up where she is and... He wants to be her customer in exchange for a date. So Nina's not taking him seriously and it takes some convincing, but they end up going to dinner and they go to a fancy restaurant and they have this crazy conversation about underwear. It's hilarious. Nina wears bloomers and Wood goes commando. It's like a light, fun, but not romantic dinner to me. It's like two cool people kicking in at dinner. Bill Bellamy was low-key a comedy heartthrob in the 90s. I actually heard him described as one of the only popular attractive comedians of the 90s and I can't really say that I disagree. Now next up we see Darius sitting down at a typewriter with obvious writer's block. Savon calls to alert him to Nina's return to the city and says that she went out with wood. Now we flip quickly to a jazz club where Sheila and Darius are hanging out. I don't think this is the sanctuary. I think this is a different place. I don't freaking know. Darius says that he plans to attend a party that Sheila is hosting that comes up later, right? So Wood shows up to this club looking slick AF and Sheila and Darius are really disappointed in him that he would go after somebody that Darius was seeing. I feel like that's not appropriate if you're friends to you know, pick up where somebody else left off, especially with the time period being so short. So I think we, I don't want to say all, some people don't care. But personally, I can understand why they would be upset with him, right? Especially since Darius has more feelings for Nina than he let on. But yeah, they're disappointed in him or whatever. And so Dia's like, oh, I ain't tripping. And it's like, here you are lying again. <laughs> but Wood comes over to talk to them and Wood and Darius proceed to get into this pissing match over Nina. Now there's no evidence to indicate that Wood has done anything except take Nina to dinner, but Wood suggests that there was more. Now given Wood's hater attitude, it's not far-fetched to me that he could be putting 20 on 10 AKA exaggerating. So Darius leaves, Sheila and Wood talk a little bit and Wood proceeds to give a little spiel about men not always wanting sex, hinting at the fact that he and Nina hadn't gone beyond dinner. So it didn't sound like anything really happened between them. So next up, we at Sheila's party, y'all. Savon brings a lady friend and Sheila is not thrilled because Savon is married, y'all. Savon is married to Troy and the lady he brings with him is obviously a mistress or something, whatever. So Nina and Wood are on their way to the party in this hearse, discussing the benefits of having a hearse as a car. Darius back at the party questions Savon's relationship with his lady friend, given he's married. Savon claims that they are coworkers slash friends. And he reminds Darius that Darius and all of the other friends discourage Savon from getting married in the first place. Now Savon tells Darius that people grow apart and that Darius wouldn't know anything about that because he hasn't had a relationship that lasted longer than six months. Darius says no there's somebody named Felicia that relationship lasted a little longer she comes up a little bit later Savon says like everyone runs around here falling in love or whatever I need to know how to stay there how do you stay in love and he's like I love my wife but she ain't here so basically we get some confirmation that Savon is out here cheating boo okay now back in the hearse we find out that Wood is bringing the unsuspecting Nina to Sheila's party where Darius and their mutual friends will be Nina is a sitting duck she don't know nothing. Wood comes across as using her to make Darius jealous and to submit himself as the guy with the most game. This is going to be a mess, right? Obviously. So the crew's hanging out at this party when Wood and Nina arrive together. Darius had just stepped away. And so Nina immediately asks where the bathroom is so she can get out of Dodge real quick. 
In the meantime, the crew, you know, a French checks Wood for being a butthole, but he's perfectly fine with that title. Darius comes back while Nina is gone. And of course, he's not happy to see Wood. But Nina comes downstairs after gathering herself and she makes eye contact with a disbelieving Darius. And Nina asks to speak to Wood outside. Wasn't a big kerfuffle or nothing along those lines. She just was really embarrassed, right? What is up with the men in this movie embarrassing this lady? Nina confronts Wood outside about his measuring contest with Darius and says that they need to leave her out of it. He embarrassed her. She wants to go home and Wood refuses to take her home and seems all too happy to tell her to walk home. When Wood returns alone, Darius is upset and ends up going after Nina. So Darius and Nina have a conversation that has like a little bit of stank on it, a little bit of attitude as she's walking away. And Darius is like, girl, I only want to make sure that you get home safely. Okay. So they call a cab from a payphone. Jesus, payphones. And while they're waiting for the cab to arrive, right as it shows up, Darius starts to speak his mind, like those burning questions in his head. Like, why are you messing around with my boy? Now, Nina is like, why didn't you tell me that you were seeing somebody? And Darius is like, I ain't seeing nobody. And when Nina gets in the cab, Darius finally remembers that he was sleeping with Lisa, the lady from the bar. Darius realizes that he messed up. And I'm like, does she mean so little to you that you didn't even remember you were sleeping with somebody? You were literally with this lady at the bookstore like the other day. So it's not like you just had like a one night stand. Y'all were hanging out for a bit. Okay. Now we see these two lovebirds in their separate homes, both kind of calling each other at the same time, which is interesting. It's a day or two later after the party and Nina apologizes for the whole situation. She invites him to the VON steppers party. Stepping is like a Chicago style of dancing that's very old school and very like local. I do enjoy like the local Chicago infusion in this movie, even if I don't completely get it. I'm from the South, we don't do that. So <laughs> Darius and Nina dance together. They're stepping. The other steppers are way better at it, but they end up having a good time together. I was hoping that they would be like taking stepping lessons seriously. No, they were just kind of dancing. The other people were like, they were doing Chicago stepping. It's a very unique way of moving. And Nina and Darius didn't have the moves down quite. It would have been nice if they did though. Now they walk home together and on their way home, they talk a little bit why she didn't call. And so Darius says that his fling with Lisa is nothing. And somehow they're like almost back to normal. They had a few riffs and now things are normal. So when they get back to where Nina is staying, she wants Darius to sleep on the couch. Now, Nina claims that she wants to save it for later and not ruin this perfect night. And Darius is not down with this plan. Now, I'm curious if she was mad at him, if she was cautious about Lisa, which that would make the most sense. But either way, she's serious. He sleeps on the couch. She sleeps in the bed and the loft upstairs. Darius is stewing like a little baby, but they both go to bed without scratching that itch. So they're kind of tossing and turning. They're just horny and frustrated. They both are. And what makes the scene even funnier is the music in the background. There's a song called Jelly Jelly Blues by the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra. And it adds to this kind of funny, ridiculous tension of this scene. I actually really enjoyed this scene. It was quite funny. Darius kind of slowly makes his way to the bedroom where Nina is and asks to play something for her. He puts on a record. It's In a Sentimental Mood by Duke Ellington. I actually really love that song. And they slow dance. And next up, we see a little montage of the two of them doing relationship things while the music is playing. They do double dates with Savon and his mistress. They're running in the park. They're smoking each other's cigarettes. They're listening to performance at the sanctuary. We even see a regretful wood in the background. So they're hanging out. Things are to normal they're doing real kind of relationship stuff they're not just kicking it anymore basically so nina is out and about and she takes pictures of like this couple in the park and they appear to be in love and then she heads to darius's house where he's on the phone complaining about his mail being stolen or something and nina initiates some adult activities and so we flip to a scene of the two of them laying in bed asleep lisa calls him we later find out that it's just five o'clock in the morning and Darius leaves the room to talk to her and Nina knows that something is up because the phone woke her up, obviously. Now, the next day, Darius is all inspired and writing feverishly on the typewriter, kind of ignoring Nina. Nina spots Lisa's number on his bulletin board and her antennas are going up. This girl's calling at five o'clock in the morning. Her phone number is posted in his apartment. What's going on with Lisa? Okay. 
Later, she asks Darius if he thinks that she slept with Wood. And Darius kind of has an attitude and he's like, I learned a long time ago not to ask questions I don't want to know the answer to. He's very irritable and Nina is kind of irritable back. Um, I also want to point out that everybody in this movie smokes, which is gross. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> but Darius picks up a camera, tries to change the mood a little bit, and he tells her to start taking her clothes off. And she's low-key not having it, okay? And when he asks her if she tries trust him she's like no and they finally talk about Lisa y'all they get into a real argument about trust and they both have good points Nina brings up the 5 a.m phone call and that Lisa's number is posted in his house Darius brings up that Nina went to New York to be with and sleep with her ex and Nina is like I only went because you acted like you were cool with it talking about we're just kicking it so yeah, there's some distrust and I get it, but I'm on Nina's side. Darius willingly fostered a relationship with Lisa when he knew he wanted Nina. He lied to Nina about being okay with her going to New York. Darius is the most at fault in my eyes, okay? Darius is like, you know what? If you don't trust me, you can come and get your SHIT for my apartment because it don't make no sense that you want to be with somebody you can't trust. And so quickly in a different scene, Nina grabs her belongings from his apartment, throws his keys at him, and Darius treats her coldly as she exits stage left, y'all. So in a brief scene, Darius talks to Eddie. Y'all, I don't know what Eddie's role is in this friendship group. He is kind of like the MC at the sanctuary. I don't know if he has ownership in the club. I don't really don't understand. He just is kind of there and doesn't seem to serve a purpose in the friend group. I really don't know. Don't really understand. But I was like, maybe this scene will help me to understand his relationship. And it doesn't really. Darius starts reminiscing very hard on an ex named Felicia. He brought her up earlier and he seems regretful that he messed things up and let her go. There's more talk about like, what does it mean to be the one? And is there anything to the idea that each person only has the one, right? Darius says that he thinks he actually messed up twice in losing Felicia and Nina. Eddie says, love don't make sense. It just is what it is. Okay. Love is, you know, what you make it with whom you make it. And I'm like, sure, I guess Eddie gives good disenchanted advice. I don't know. The movie could have existed without Eddie y'all. He was unnecessary in this movie personally. Now, Savon comes to the door to find Troy and his son. Savon is happy to see them, but you can see that he is guilty, okay? You Move Me by Cassandra Wilson plays in the background as we get a mini montage of Nina and Darius existing without each other. Darius gets mad and even throws his typewriter off the desk because his creative juices aren't flowing now that his muse is gone. And suddenly the picture that he hid earlier in the movie is obviously his ex Felicia. Took me a minute to put two and two together, but I got it y'all. Now in the next scene, Savon, Sheila, Darius, Troy, and Eddie are playing cards. I believe this is at Darius's house. And a call comes in from Josie. She reveals that Nina got a gig with Vibe magazine and is off on a train tomorrow at noon. Josie suggests that he sees her off, but D is reluctant. I'm calling him D because I started abbreviating it in my notes as I was typing. So if you hear me say D, it stands for Darius. But anyways, Darius is acting cold. He's like, I'm not having it. She can see herself off. I'm not messing with her no more. But the next day, it's about that time for you know Nina to be on her way and Darius is trying to restrain himself from going to see her but he finally heads to the train station on his bike he has like a little motorcycle he's speeding through traffic it's a race to see if he'll catch her she boards the train as he runs through the station trying to get to her of course I should have predicted that a scene like this would be in a romance movie it's typically happens at the airport but I will take the train station okay you know he's running after his lover typically they catch her so I was actually surprised that he did not catch her he arrived on the platform right as the train was pulling away and he yells for her but he you know she slips away into the darkness okay he is not happy with himself that he kind of let his pride get in the way of you know seeing her off for real for real I feel like he could have hopped on that train but I guess he wouldn't have it instead he walks away defeated now what I didn't predict was the time lapse a time lapse of a year happens and I'm like oh dang a year goes by and they don't see each other I was not expecting that I'll admit that okay we see Nina is now a kind of big time photographer with her own assistant she's not the assistant no more she has an assistant she's shooting a half naked man for what I presume to be like maybe like a Hanes or Fruit of the Loom type of advertisement or something 
and we see that she's getting ready for a shoot in Chicago soon. Now we flip back over to Darius and Savan. Darius has actually finished his book. It's called Gypsy Eyes. And I'm like, that's an offensive term now, but maybe not in 1997. So I'm not gonna be too hard on that, okay? Savan asked why Dean never called Nina. And he's like, I wrote letters, but I felt like a fool and I never sent any, okay? And I'm like, yo, why can't we be fools for love? If you really love somebody, the way you look to the outside world, it doesn't really matter that much. Love is everything. Be a fool for love. And I'm a fool. <laughs> love that song. Moving on. Okay, so this is the final kind of wrap-up scene of the movie, y'all. Nina is in Chicago at the sanctuary, I'm presuming, and she sees a patron with a copy of Darius's book. Now, when she asks to see it, she finds that the dedication reads, to the woman who helped me reach my level. She knows who she is. He dedicated this book to her, which is a big deal because earlier in the movie, he vowed to not even put his friends in the dedication to the movie. The dedication also references a quote that they were going on about earlier in the movie that I didn't feel like mentioning. Eddie announces the next performer who signed up and it happens to be Nina Mosley. Now Darius is there and he is shocked to hear her name. I mean, come on. They haven't seen each other in a year. When Nina gets to the stage, she has this large book and hinted that she was hoping to see Darius but was going to move forward anyway. So wherever Darius is in the club, Nina can't see him. So this poem that she's going to read is more so like supposed to be cathartic is the way I took it. So she reads something from this large book. It appears to be like kind of a big notebook and it's an original poem, I'm assuming. It's very nature oriented. Again, I won't get into the details or anything because poetry is about how it makes you feel, not necessarily the words. It has things with like synesthesia. Basically, this is probably not the proper definitions. Synesthesia to me is like when you see sounds, but it's almost like this mixing up of senses. It's like tasting shapes or things along those lines. It's a synesthesia is the best way that I can put it. It feels like a depiction of what she remembers their love feeling like. That's what I got out of it. On her way out of the club, she actually throws away her notebook and gets ready to catch a taxi in the rain. But before she gets in, Darius calls out to her. Now this time they let her get wet. She is wet AF. She looked like a wet cat, y'all. She is soaked. She and Darius talk for a little bit. Darius tells her that, you know, he likes her poem. He apologizes for his part in the downfall of their relationships, but he wants to forget all the nonsense and for them to get back together. And Nina is like, your timing is awful. Okay, you always have bad timing. Why is everything so urgent with you? And Darius is like, it's because I love you and that's urgent. And she starts asking about logistics because she has sense. <laughs> She's like, I live in New York. You live in Chicago. How are we even going to make this work? Okay. But they decide to figure it out later. They make out in the rain and the color scheme goes to black and white. The movie ends with the sweetest thing by the refugee camp all-stars. Sweetest thing I've ever known. It's like a kiss on a collarbone. Such a good song. Anyways, there's a few things I want to point out. This ending was very not satisfying for me. I felt like it was too easy for them to just come back together and just be okay. After a year, no questions asked. While I wasn't expecting that one year time lapse, I was hoping that their reuniting would feel a little more satisfying. I just, I just didn't like the way it ended y'all. But I do want to point out that it's interesting that once Darius and Nina established their careers, they found their ways back to each other. Now, I don't know if this was purposeful or not, but there's something to be said for finding yourself, your passion and your success before being in a relationship. That's the kind of stuff I believe in y'all. All right, y'all, that is the end of Love Jones. At the end of every movie or TV show, we ask the hard-hitting questions. Does it hold up today? And is it worth a rewatch? Now, again, this was my first time ever watching Love Jones. So this is really my initial reaction, okay? It mostly holds up today and is for sure worth a rewatch. Now, I would say that this movie holds up around 92% of the way with only a few things holding it back. There were some elements of the way that Darius pursued Nina that were a little toxic and stalkerish, getting her information off a check, like, mm, that's concerning, okay? He also played the victim a little bit in their disagreement about Lisa. And it's like mm, a little bit of toxicity, like just a droplet of toxicity, okay? We never find out if Savon told his wife about his mistress ill. The way the story almost purposely underdeveloped Josie's character is awful and horrendous. And it reeks of a trope. And I do not like that, okay? Everybody in the movie is smoking cigarettes. We all know they're bad for you. And then there's this kind of quick, easy, dissatisfying resolution to their love story, which I feel 
really disappointed in. And finally, the setting of the story around poetry. Something about it feels aged and old. And to me, that doesn't really hold up. Like I said, I'm like a low-key disappointed in how the characters kind of came back together, even though I am happy that they did end up together. The movie jumps around suddenly all the time with minimal true like transition time. Like it's literally you snap your fingers and we're into the next scene and on to the next thing. And I'm like, I don't know if this is on purpose. <laughs> and while there are some obvious kind of 90s references, none of them are too crazy to the point to where you might have to actually like do some research. So in that way, the movie does hold up for me. The poetry scene is not what it used to be, you know. And so I think that because of it's set around poetry a little bit, that that may not be something that people modern day can really understand. Despite those shortcomings, though, I think the actual love story and the friend interactions are true to life. You go through these ups and downs. Friends fight over partners. Careers take you in different directions. It's a life. So in that way, this story is kind of a tale as old as time. We even get a chase scene at a train station. Again, it's typically an airport, but I'll take it. Okay, y'all? When it comes to rewatchability, I would rewatch this film. The music is amazing, the story is cute, and the journey is generally this nice smooth ride filled with Black people and Black love doing Black stuff, y'all. I could see myself watching it maybe once a year, probably around Valentine's Day. And I will say that I know this movie is labeled as a must-see for Black people, but after watching, I don't know that I 100% get the hype. Something tells me that this movie is a you had to be there kind of thing for the people who feel like it's like you have to watch this movie. With all the Black stars, the music, and the fact that we didn't have many Black romance movies at the time, I suppose that this movie was really something to be cherished and may even be considered groundbreaking at the time. But as a first time watcher of this movie, who was only seven when it came out, I don't think that I can truly appreciate what this movie means to people who were there to witness it in the moment of its greatness. Overall, I think the movie is cool. <laughs> That's basically it. Now on Rotten Tomatoes, critics gave Love Jones 76% while the audience gave it 97%. I personally think the movie is somewhere in the middle of that. I'm not a huge fan of romance movies, but I can acknowledge that this movie has a special and real feel to it that can be really hard to capture. It's not perfect for the reasons that I listed before, so I'd probably give it around an 85%. That's my opinion. Thank you so much for tuning into Sub Media Reviews, where I reviewed Love Jones. Did you rewatch this movie recently? Does it hold up for you? Please share your thoughts on our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We want to hear from you. Join us next time for our third Black History Month movie review, where me and a special guest discuss the 1992 horror film Candyman. You don't want to miss it. Peace out. Thanks for listening to Sub Media Reviews. I hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane just as much as I did. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like me to review next, or if you just want to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest at Sub Media Reviews and on SubMediaReviews.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me improve the show and spread the word to new listeners. So until next time, peace out, home slices. Peace out.